are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hey everyone, Steve here with just a quick reminder before we get into this week's episode that next weekend, January 24th, 25th, and 26th, uh, is the weekend for the Traditional Archery Expo in Kalamazoo, Michigan, hosted by Great Northern Bowhunting. Now this is the first time I'm going to be attending the expo and I'm really excited about it. I've heard so many good things about the expo over the years, I can't wait to see it for myself. Now, Nick and I will be there uh, starting Friday when the doors open, and we'll be there all day on Saturday. Uh, Tom's going to be there as well, in and out. I'm not sure exactly the hours that Tom's going to be there, but Tom will be uh, hanging out at the booth some as well, so be sure to drop by and say hello. Just look for the traditional outdoors banner. We'll be set up next to the Michigan Longbow Association booth, so we should be pretty easy to find. We will have traditional outdoor tees on hand for sale. If you haven't picked up one of those, we'd love for you to grab a T-shirt from us. Uh, And Nick will also have a few copies of his books on hand to sell and sign for you as well. Um, We're also going to try to get a few uh, episodes recorded next week. We've reached out to a couple of folks, and we've got a few other people in mind. And I've also got another unique idea that I'm going to try to do at the expo as well. So I should hear a few episodes coming out of that event. So we're real excited about that. Uh, and then on Saturday evening from 4 to 6 p.m., uh, I'll be conducting a Flemish uh, Twist string building class, and that will be at the Traditional Outdoors booth. Now, spaces are limited for that, and I'm almost full, so if you'd like to get your name in for the class, reach out to me ASAP at bowhunterga, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Now, the cost is $30, and that covers uh, the cost of all the materials, and I'll be bringing all the tools, with the exception of a a string-stretching jig. I'm not going to have one of those there, so be sure to bring the bow uh, that you're wanting to build the string for so we can use that to stretch the string uh, and to uh, uh, serve the string as well. So we look forward to seeing you all at the Expo, and while you're there, be sure to uh, stop by and tell Rob Brum how much you appreciate all the efforts he puts into the Expo. It's a lot of work, and anyone putting in that much work likes to hear uh, their efforts are being appreciated. So drop by and and tell tell him thanks. That's about wraps up this quick intro, so let's get on to this week's episode with Mr. John Hand. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm joined today by my good buddy and what we sometimes refer to as my co-host at large, Mr. Tom Jorgensen. Happy New Year, Tom. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing great, Steve. Doing great. How are you? You know what? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've got uh, 2019 as uneventful as it was behind me. Um, as I mentioned on the the, pod, the last episode, you know, you and I've got some some exciting things planned for uh, 2020. Going to chase some some pigs. Going to chase some some bears. Hopefully, do a my first bit of uh, fly fishing in a in a country outside of the United States, still on the same mm-hmm. continent, but you know, it's, it's something a little different. So man, I'm, I'm really getting fired up. Uh, I was actually, in fact, we were talking about this today or yesterday one that, uh, I was, I was going to try to get out and, and hit the woods a couple more times to close out the 2019 season and pretty much decided it's just not going to happen. So I think my 2019 season is behind me. So I'm really, really going to start focusing on 2020, um, and doing some planning and making corrections. So 2019 doesn't repeat itself, but, uh, yeah, I'm all fired up. That's good. Uh, just by the plans we already have, 
I don't think there's any chance that you're going to have less days of field in 2020. So um, fix your stuff by by deer season, and you're going to be in great shape. Well, I'm excited about this hog hunt, too, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, I know uh, RC has talked about um, possibly stopping by and spending some time with us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've got uh, – we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time hunting with Jerry Russell. And we're going to see, a, you know, for both of us, we're going to see a lot of a new pro, new ground. Um, first time we've done this camp ambush thing on, on public ground. And uh, I, I have hunted some of Jerry's property, but where he hunts, where he hunts uh, hogs at is, it's part of the same piece of property, but property I've never been on. So it's all going to be kind of new to all of us, which is, which is pretty exciting. So uh, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. But uh, I ask you to be my, my co-host this week because our, our guest this week is someone that um, you pretty much introduced me to. Um, on the other end of the line, we've got Mr. John Hand, and we're going to get to know a lot more about John, um, but the main reason that, that you introduced me to him and the, the reason I've gotten to know John as well as I have is because John produces some absolutely fantastic um, uh, adapters for carbon arrows to increase foc and and really build just a bomb proof era and we were i was talking to john yesterday and he was telling me that uh that he has never even taken it to the extremes that you and i have until he um had an africa trip which we'll probably talk a little bit about today but i don't want to sit here and, and ramble away and give away all the information how's it going john how are you this morning i'm doing good doing good steve well, we are we are glad to have you on the show. Um, our paths have have somewhat come close to crossing many times. I know uh, a few years ago when when John, uh, Tom and I were heading through um, or heading out west to, to hunt antelope, there was even some discussion of us possibly swinging by and seeing you. And it just the time the times didn't work out. But uh, I know we both have that on our uh, radar for the next trip we make out to. Uh, to antelope country we're going to try to swing by and, and see you face to face but uh just didn't work out yet but it will i see it working out in our future yeah that'd be great yeah you came by 18 miles from me so it'd be easy <laughs> for me to slip down and see you you know what if we hadn't uh, if we hadn't spent all that time in that cabela's <laughs> we probably, probably could have made it work but we kind of got lost what was that uh what's that little town tom Oh, that was Cabela's number one. John can yeah. probably help us. Carney, Nebraska. That's it. There Kearney. we go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we well, kind of got lost it, in there. <laughs> remind me, Steve, that was the trip where I picked you up in Minneapolis after work no. on one day. No, that was no, a different no, trip? No, no, that, that was a trip that uh, oh, I, I, I drove. I, re- I rented the goat hauler and drove That's up right. to uh, Indianapolis and picked you up. And then we drove... We drove from there to Kearney uh, the next morning. Um, All right. I couldn't remember if we'd be going through in the dark hours or not. I, I don't think we have no, any that excuse. Was, yeah, we don't. Well, the only excuse we had was we, and I can't remember, there were certain, there was a few items we had to get, and I can't remember yep. now what it was. So it wasn't a it wasn't a frivolous stop, but I must admit we kind of, we kind of started acting like, you um, women shopping for shoes when we got in that Cabela's because we couldn't pull ourselves out. We just kept walking around. So, uh, but it was, it was, you know, part of the adventure. Wasn't near as good as taking the goat hauler through the back, those far service roads, but it was still a lot of fun. 
So, so Tom, you know, I kind of saved this. I started to bring it up to you when we were talking, um, when planning to get John on, but, uh, I don't know if you've ever told me exactly how you came across uh, John in the first place. Do you remember? Man. Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, I can tell you the day. So I had lost a hog. It was the first animal I ever lost with my longbow. And I didn't get penetration on it. And I knew it was my arrow setup. Like everything else was fine. Shot placement was good. I was shooting good. Everything was okay. And I just didn't get it done. Uh, first animal I ever shot with a, a illuminated knock. And I watched it run off in the dark and could never catch it. And it was, it was a heartbreaker. It's one of those things where I, I thought about like, oh, I need 20 more pounds of bow. This is never going to happen again. And luckily, before I did anything stupid, uh, somebody uh, introduced me to some of these higher FOC, higher momentum conversations. And Dr. Ashby was coming to Kalamazoo in 2012 to present. And in that presentation, he just, it was a little side note on one of the slides about structural integrity. Um he said, and there's this guy, John Hand in Nebraska, who makes these uh, insert adapter out of solid stainless steel. Uh, you know, I'm not endorsed or paid by anybody, but this is just good stuff. And immediately after that, I decided I was going to use those and started thinking about what carbon arrows they'd fit into and, you know, what I could put together for a total system in my bow. And I just, I think pretty much blindly just sent an email to you, John, and just said, Hey, I, I, can you send me three of these things so I can try them out? But, uh, we had no prior connection or anything. It was just, I looked at that adapter and said, that's gotta be about the toughest thing you can imagine putting into an arrow build. And, and that was, that was the intro. So uh, I'll give a little bit of background and then I'm going to jump into or a little more background and then I'm going to jump to you, John, and kind of, you know, I want to kind of hear how, uh, how these adapters all came about and, and just get a little bit more information about you. So it's not just going to be me and Tom talking this whole time, but, um, I know when, when you first pointed me to them, Tom, and I started looking at them at the time, the options that you had were, uh, pretty much brass hunter grain threaded inserts i know ace was making a hundred hundred uh 100 and a 125 version of a brass uh insert that would accommodate a glue on broadhead and for all intents and purposes that was about it you could do some things with woody weights which i've done to increase uh front of center but the problem with most of those options for me uh, and i do want to touch on this a little bit if you went with the, the brass threaded inserts, um, and Tom, you know this because you, you witnessed one of the failures firsthand, but the weak mm-hmm. point became that threaded ferrule inside that brass, which was already a little bit soft and would, would bend. And once that bent, you know, it was game over. You weren't going you, your penetration was gone. Um, the, the other brass adapters, the the issue I had with those is they didn't go into the arrow shaft, but about 
let's say an inch. I don't think it was actually quite an inch. So your your leverage point where that error the the error shaft could break or or even mushroom, which you could stop the mushrooming with a, a, a footing. But anyway, that that leverage point was only about an inch behind where the broadhead stopped. And again, uh, uh, an angled shot or something like that. There's just not a lot of structural integrity there. These things that John was making used a, you know, so they had a, a, a cone on the front for using with glue on broadheads. So there was no threaded insert, meaning they were solid one piece stainless steel. Um, John, I can let you go through the, the weights that you had at the time, but because I just don't remember. But then that the part that went inside the arrow shaft was, you know, roughly inch and a half, two inches long, which moved that that leverage point much further back. And I say one and a half, two inches because a lot of things have changed between myself and Tom wanting to do different things. We we kept bugging John with special requests, and and John, you started making the the adapters that fit the Black Eagle uh, inside diameter perfectly, which changed that that uh, tapered end that you originally had to a you know pretty much just a, a straight. Uh, insert adapter and the heavier we got with these things the further it pushed that insert back which was kind of a win-win so with all that said i've tried to paint a little bit of a picture of what these things look like but so john to 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 let you talk a little bit now you know i i guess focusing on just the adapters where did you where did you come up with this idea and how did it all how did it all get started and what what is the origin story i've been i've been on the edge of my seat i gotta know (laughs) Well, it actually, uh, I'm not sure how long ago, probably 11 or 12 years ago when my son was getting to the age of uh, starting to do some deer hunting, I had uh, was trying to build a setup for him. And at that time, I'm trying to think of how, what I was shooting for a setup, but... Um, I ended up finding these little aluminum adapters with a short, they were short, like you were talking, Steve, uh, and then they were hollow, and it was basically what I'm producing, but, so they were built for aluminum arrows. Well, I found some that uh, went in these small carbon arrows that I had for my son, and that's kind of where it started i was like i like these but it's not exactly what i wanted so i'm a machinist by trade and uh, i have uh, my father started our business my grandfather actually started it my father on third generation so my brother and i run this business now and and uh i've built things for myself for a long time and i decided that i why can't i just build an adapter uh, for his arrow. So I, I built an aluminum adapter uh, for his arrows and uh, glued on a nice little squeaky broadhead on the front of it and the razor sharp and, and it performed very well. Um, it wasn't really heavy, but he was shooting light poundage bow and, and uh, uh, he shot a, a great buck with it his first year. Um, and complete penetration and, and, uh, so I kind of fell in love with the idea because I was shooting 
traditional broadheads, gluon broadheads, mainly Zwickies. I shoot them, shot them for years and years. Um, so one day I read a Dr. Ed Ashby report, and I'm sure we've all done that. But uh, so things started spinning in my head, and I was like, well, I need to increase that front end weight. So I made some out of brass. And I shot a few deer with those, and I had a few failures. So I decided that uh, we had to change that. So uh, I started making them out of stainless steel. And uh, man, they were tough. They were tough, and uh, I had no failures. Uh, possibly once in a while, if like the deer rolled over on top of the arrow or something, um, it could rip that stainless steel uh, insert out the side of the carbon shaft but anyways uh, you guys solve that by you know putting the outside footing on it but that's kind of where it started and I was lucky enough that I got to meet a few people in in the industry um, Garrett Schlee being one of them from Alaska bow hunting supply and his father and uh, listen to some of the stuff they talked about. Actually got to meet uh, Dr. Ed Ashby in Colorado uh, at a convention and sat down with him at the table and showed him what I had and his eyes got real big and he said, well, this, is, this is what we've been needed for a long time. So that's kind of where it started and uh, I made some for my friends and I decided that Maybe, you know, other people could use them as well, and, and uh, uh, got a hold of a good friend of mine, and he, he uh, started, a, got a web page built for me, and, and hosted it, and uh, we started selling them, you know, so that's kind of, kind of the origin of, of that stainless steel insert. If you don't mind me asking, when you did the first run with the brass, uh, how much weight did that come in at for you it was it it was probably around that 200 mark i'd say or 100 and about 150 200 mark i'd say okay and then yeah. you didn't continue I, mean, I assume the soft brass was the, exactly. the problem exactly yeah the weight mm. was there the weight was everything i wanted and so <clears throat> i kind of wanted to keep that weight but yet I needed something a lot stronger so when I went to the stainless and then ended up weighing them and comparing them there wasn't there's not a whole lot of difference so that's okay. it worked it worked and not being a machinist uh was 304 just the it, those are 304 stainless right yeah so was that the first one you went with for a reason, or did you have to go through a, a testing process to determine that was what you wanted to run with? Um, I looked at uh, some metallurgy uh, charts that give you tensile strength for each of the materials. And uh, 304 actually was what I had on hand, and I made them out, out of that for years. Uh, and now that I found 303 stainless steel has the same tensile strength and yield strength, and it machines a lot easier. So mm. I've actually gone to 303 here in, of 
of late, but uh, makes it a lot easier for me to build them. 304 is uh, not <clears throat> not an easily machined stainless, but it is tough. Yeah, well, I tell you what, the 304s, um, my experiences reflect what you say, right? I might break through the side of the carbon shaft, but I have literally shot some of these out of heavy bows into, into you know, destructive testing, into to hard objects, and I have yet to bend an adapter. In every case, it's either the, the head that fails or the, the carbon shaft. I have yet to actually break one or bend it. Um, Steve, do you have any, I, I will back up the same thing. So I have, I have split field points. I have split, um, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I have split steel, um, glue on field points. I have split brass glue on field points. Um, a couple different broadhead makes, uh, have split. I have broken arrows before behind the footing. But I have yet to, I've yet to bend to one of them. In fact, the only challenge I've got is because of the way you and I build these front ends. The ones that I've I've salvaged, I've gotten a way of getting them back out of the footing in the shaft, to re, or I haven't figured out a way to reuse them yet. But because there's nothing wrong with them, they're just encased in aluminum and and carbon now, where they've you know if I've broken the the back of the shaft off. Um, and, and I'll just, I want to add to that. There is a video, John, I don't even know if you've seen it or not, but there's a video that I did on YouTube, uh, under traditional outdoors about, you know, building a, uh, virtually indestructible arrow where I shot, um, uh, it was an 860 grain arrow out of a 75 at 28 Kramer longbow, uh, was probably overdrawing it by an inch just for effect, shooting it into solid concrete, and it finally broke the arrow shaft on the third shot. Um, and it was again the the adapter was there was nothing wrong with the adapter. If I could get it back out of the the sleeve um, and the carbon shaft, I could reuse it tomorrow. Um, so it's it's I mean it, it it's unbelievable what you can build an arrow to take. Um, using a solid a solid adapter or insert as a as a foundation it, it really is i'd yeah i'd like I, to ask you a question john uh, sorry yeah. to butt in but no, that's okay so the the thing i'm wondering is um when we're talking about shooting these arrows these are kind of standard diameter carbons i've had some rough times building extreme arrows on micro uh platforms do you have you played with that at all, or have you had requests for that? Yes, I did. Uh, I had a request for the for the micro. I think just in my head, it's like a one seventy seven, or it's a pretty small internal uh, diameter in those arrows. Um, I like a small diameter arrow. I, I like to shoot them, and I think they fly well. Mm-hmm. But you. Once you do that, I, I did it. I did it for a gentleman. Uh, made some, and they they were hard to make. And um, I didn't really want to do it because you're 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 taking away all of your your strength. Everything that that insert um, that makes that insert so good is is uh, the diameter 
of that stainless. Once you once you drop that down to a certain size, then you start to lose your integrity of, and it's going to bend probably right behind the the taper end of that that insert. Mm. So um, there's some things <clears throat> that people are doing now with uh, outside sleeves and they're incorporating all this stuff together to where they when you glue it up it can all be basically sandwiched together but uh, and those were things I thought about a long time ago there's I have talked to so many people um, that have such great ideas um, sending me drawings and <laughs> and talking to me on the phone and I always enjoy talking about making trying to make the best you know insert there are um, so I, I've had a lot of ideas and I've had a lot of people give me ideas too and there's something that I just I never really pursued because I was so busy with other things at, at work I really couldn't take uh, time away from some of my machines to to go ahead and do that. So I just kind of stuck with what I had. Um, it works well. It's simple. And that's what I like about it. It's just simple. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think that the axis size, um, it's like a 203 diameter. I, I think that's, and I haven't bet one of those either, and I've shot a lot of those. Um, but I think if, once we go smaller than that, I think we're going to run into some trouble. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I dropped from uh, 245 to 166. And yeah. uh, with that, the bow is only shooting 45 pounds. So I've had good success, you know, trad bow. So, you know, not, not nearly the, the speed or energy, you know, uh, of a modern bow. It seems to do okay. I'm, I'm happy with it for smaller game, but, uh, that 244 with that, that larger diameter insert section, uh, just, you know, up to 87 pounds, you know, a thousand grain arrows hammering into hard targets, just incredible. Uh, do I, do you mind if I ask you how you, what you do for, um, epoxy or JB weld or glue, how you assemble your arrows? Right. Um, most, if not all, of what I uh, hunt would be considered small in comparison to what you guys have pursued. Um, not that that really matters that much. But I do just uh, use a hot melt glue on mine, which um, I've seen, you know, where I've seen some things happen where I, you know, I wish I would have done the epoxy glue, and I, and I do have some now, and I do plan on using it, and uh, it's the, the golf shaft glue, and okay. uh, I've yep. got a, a good friend of mine who's going to be doing what you did, Tom, he's, he's headed back to Australia um, this next Ooh. summer, and uh, so when we got home from Africa this last spring, we, we started working on his arrows for, for his next adventure. So, uh, I learned a lot there. You know, you, you two guys were the first guys I really worked with <clears throat> that really tried to build an indestructible arrow, you know? 
So, so, so it just seems like a great time to talk about either Africa or what you've got cooking with him for his, uh, his big hunt. Where do you, where do you want to start? Oh, on the hunt? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Sounds like Africa always, was first. Yeah. You know, um, I always wanted to go to Africa. It was a childhood dream of mine. And a lot of people want to hunt Alaska and, and uh, things like that. And I don't know what drew me so much uh, to wanting to do something like that. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, just the romance of it. I read a lot of read a lot of books on it and uh don thomas been there many times and i read a lot of his stuff and and uh paul schaefer and paul bruner and people like that and uh, I, I always have been drawn to it but uh um i have a good friend uh doug Audie, and he lives here in nebraska in st paul and he he has been to africa several times he's um, very experienced and he actually got to hunt with Don and Lori Thomas years ago and uh, I was always a fan of, of Don's writing and, and I had met him on a, at a banquet one year and uh, so my friend Doug always usually would always invite me on these trips knowing I'm probably hoping that I could go and of course I I never could really make it work and uh, so this year or last year he invited me to go and said that Don had contacted him and was wanted to go back and and they needed one more guy and uh, he said if you're ever gonna go this 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 may be the trip so wow I talked to the wife and uh, she looked at me and she said "I, I think you better go you know, uh, a lot of things have happened in my life in the last few years. I'm 52 years old now, and I've lost some friends, and I've lost, uh, you know, things happen. We never, we never know what's going to happen to us today or tomorrow, and and I, it kind of hit me, you know, it's time to do some things that that I always wanted to do. I kind of wrote it off. I never thought I'd probably ever make it, and kind of had forgotten about it, and and this was kind of a slap in the face, and. So, try to make it happen. Yeah, I'm in, and man, what a what a great trip! What what great people, and it's just, you know, I could do four shows on going to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where where did you hunt? We hunted in Namibia. We hunted with uh, Alan Salier Safaris, Mm -hmm. and uh, one thing that I did not want to do in Africa was have a canned hunt. I did not want to hunt animals behind a fence, um, which is not that easy to do anymore. So, True. but Al, Alan runs a, a great operation. He owns 60,000 acres of a cattle ranch that he had bought, purchased. And that butts up to, uh, like Bushman land where the government had set aside kind of like a reservation here in the states so they have an area <clears throat> that is still wild no roads uh no fences and his butts up against that and so he provides 
some water there and that draws the animals you know onto his property but um, just a great experience uh, with some great people um, but I, I would highly recommend it for sure the uh, the first two guys I really talked to about bow hunting in Africa uh, some some older gentlemen in our in our circles um, had hunted all over and they suggested Namibia would be uh, kind of the, the last best place as it comes to hunting Africa and I've not been yet but there everything I've heard tells me that's a, a great way to go yeah this uh this operation, I mean, I mainly hunted from a blind uh, o o over water. And uh, being never, it, it was odd. I couldn't figure out what was, something was bothering me about this trip. And it shouldn't have been, but something, I just couldn't put my finger on it. And I finally, I finally decided that my whole life I have studied and, and, done research on all these animals that white-tailed deer mule deer antelope and and i knew almost everything there is to know about them and what their habits are what they eat where they go and all this i knew nothing of these animals and uh so fortunately wayne saliers which would be alan's son who also is was i think the youngest ph in namibia at one time um was raised by uh, the Bushman that uh, Alan was friends with and, and employed, and he he is a Bushman. I mean, this kid is he is unreal. And fortunately, uh, he took me by the hand and he taught me a lot of things about Africa. You know, I mean, I'm going in with this conception of uh, they rut and they breed a certain time. They have certain, you know, they have their babies a certain time. Well, that's that's not true at all. There, different species uh, will have their young year round. You have to, you know, the females and the males look very similar. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of things to learn. And it was just it was just such a cool experience. I was so fortunate uh, to be able to be in that position. But yeah. I, and, and if you don't want to hunt over a water hole, uh, you know, uh, there's also, they'll take you out and track game and you can stalk it, which spending time behind those trackers is, is well worth the trip in itself. Yeah. So. Very cool. So when, uh, with all your connections and all of your knowledge, what kind of bow did you take? What what broadhead did you choose? What types of animals were you uh, hoping to, to encounter size-wise? How'd you get ready for it? That's the cool thing about going to Africa is, and, and any hunt, as you know, is, <laughs> is getting ready. Um, I spent a lot of time, I did a lot of, a lot of research and a lot of just working with arrows and trying to get the perfect setup. Um, I, on this trip, actually uh, contacted my good friend, uh, uh, Schlieve, Mr. Schlieve, and from Alaska Bowhunting, and we we put together a system for, for what I wanted to do. He had a new broadhead out that I wanted to try, the Alaskan. It was a 
uh, stainless steel forged uh, single bevel, mm -hmm. 315 grains. I think my arrows came in about 750 grains, and they shot very well, and I was shooting his tapered grizzly stick arrows. So uh, I went in with a lot of confidence, and I shot, I ordered a new set of, of black widow limbs from one of my old recurves, and, and uh, about 62 pounds. So nothing mm -hmm. extreme. I'm not a I'm not a heavy bow shooter like you two, but uh, <laughs> we're we're not always heavy bow shooters. Just just so you know. Okay, but that uh, so you know I I I worked out and uh, I got I was ready. You know I felt I was as ready as I possibly could be, and uh, but anyway, as far as the animals were concerned. Um, not ever being there again, I honestly, well, they asked me the same question, Tom. They asked me, um, what animals I'd like to, you know, were on my list. And I said, well, I, actually, I don't have a list. And I had other people ask me that too. What are you going to shoot? Well, we're hunting. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to shoot the animal that gives me the best opportunity and the best situation, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what I went with. And, and that really excited Wayne because, you know, he knew I was going to shoot some stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you've been there eight or ten times and you've killed almost everything, you know, years after certain species, well, that makes it tougher, you know especially for the guide. So he was all excited. He had this new kid and I'm not a kid, I guess, but had this new guy and, and, uh, but we had, we had some good experiences. Um, on, on this particular place, there's a lot of bigger antelope, uh, Eland, uh, Kudu, oh. Gemsbuck, Zebra, um, let's see. Blue, blue heart, or uh, I'm sorry, blue wildebeest. Um, he did have some heart of beast. Um, bush buck, things like that. Not he didn't have any impala, um, hmm. or or spring buck or any smaller antelope. He did have some diker, but uh, a lot of leopard, some giraffe. Um, rhino he got charged by a rhino one day so that was exciting <laughs> but uh yeah getting tracking something else out or yeah yeah <laughs> it's a pretty Ooh. funny story uh we were on a track and and he told me and we would we would cut these uh, rhino tracks in the sand you know occasionally he would come across them and he said, uh, Wayne turned around and looked at me and he said, if, if we get charged by a rhino, drop your bow and run like hell. <laughs> and I thought, well, all right, you know, I mean, so, I mean, this Nebraska flatland kid and I'm trailing along behind him and I hear this, I hear this sound. It's kind of like, uh, it, what it sounded like to me was like a, a bird by, like flew in behind me and was lifting back up. You know, it's whoo, 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 whoo. 
So I'm mm-hmm. standing looking up in the sky, at bluebird sky, you know, and I can't see, I can't see any birds. I'm like, what in the world? And I turn around and I look at my PH and he is frantically waving at me to run. So <laughs> we all mm. take off running through the bush and then, you know, and then it dawned on me that, you know, we were in trouble. So I take off running through the bush and I can hear, you know, I can hear the, the bush breaking behind me uh, a ways off, you know. But anyways, we run for a while and we kind of spin around downwind. And we stop, and we, we stand there for a while. And he looked at me, and he goes, what were you doing? I'm like, well, I was looking for that bird. And he goes, that was a rhinoceros. And I was like, well, I never figured they'd make that kind of sound. And he goes, well, when they charge, they, like, they huff. So they're blowing out a lot of air as they run. So each lunge he takes, it goes, mm. and to me, it sounded like a bird. I could just picture myself standing there looking straight up in the sky and, <laughs> and this rhino just flattening me from behind you know Ugh. so i never saw him but he wasn't too far off oh man not many people have that story no so wow yeah that was kind of exciting but uh yeah fortunately or unfortunately i guess i i spent quite a few miles behind the trackers which was a great experience you know mm-hmm. but due to uh shot placement you know or something like that but i ended up shooting a, a beautiful warthog um one of the maybe the second day out um saw a picture that was a good looking pig yeah i think for they were pretty excited about it for uh and it was honestly probably the only one that I saw that 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 we deemed to be a shooter. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there was more on the property that we didn't see. But uh, anyways, I took advantage of that situation and I killed a a beautiful blue wildebeest, which I out of all the animals that that I had seen there and and, and the few that I shot just intrigue me the most i think they are the most beautiful creature uh the colors on them and and just the way they act and they're just just unreal so they can be quite gregarious yeah and uh and that is a, a you know you see uh film clips from africa and they're just you know swarms of them everywhere sometimes but to see one alone or a small group of them um, that was, that was a neat one for me. It was, it was a hard one that my hunting of that bull didn't, I, I never got shot the first year. Uh, and it took a while the second year, but, um, that's a neat animal. I think, I don't think it gets its due. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, and it was a, it was a great bull and I was just fortunate enough to and made a great shot on it, which even even uh, makes it even better. So, mm-hmm. but I ended up with a, a beautiful kudu as well, mm. and uh, so and and uh, shot a zebra the last night I was there, and I was, actually wasn't there for the recovery for for that animal the next morning. So we had to leave that night. Yep. So, 
Wow. So a lot of people say, uh, this will be my one and only trip to Africa. And then other people say, that's just your first trip to Africa. Do you know where you're falling on the spectrum at this point? Um, if I could leave today, I would. <laughs> it was a good trip then. Yeah, it was a great trip. Yeah. And, and of course, I have some unfinished business there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't wait to go back. That unfinished business doesn't involve that rhino, does it? No. <laughs> I I have no. (laughs) So, uh, what uh, what would be on your on your mind if you were to go back uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow, I need a Gems Buck Bowl for sure. Mm. And uh, you know, there's a few other things. One thing I didn't see, I would love to shoot a uh, uh, not a bush buck. I'm trying to. I can't remember. I said earlier, but um, a water buck. Oh yeah, water buck, gorgeous animal. And I never yep. saw, I never saw a bull or a buck, whatever they call it. But um, saw some cows. But it's just you never know. I mean, you never know what you're gonna run into. Yep. And of course, a, a a big bull eland would be high on my list as well. It's yeah. a big critter. Yeah, absolutely. So all this stuff we've been talking about with inserts and broadheads and that'll test your equipment that's for sure you know? now yeah. you said you have a friend going to australia next year next summer yeah yeah doug the, the friend i went with to africa uh from nebraska here he's he's been a couple times Tom, okay. and he he has yet to get his water water buffalo so he i was gonna ask if he's going for buffalo oh yeah absolutely he's gone a couple times so okay. he's hoping this this trip will will do it. So he's excited. He's he's a traditional bow hunter, and uh, uh, he's he shot heavy bows. Um, I built him a bow one year. I think it's around eighty. It's eighty some pounds, I believe. Oof. But um, I think that's what he, he shoots. He shoots that bow, and then uh, for his heavy bows, he shoots that bow, and then he also shoots a. Oh, I can't think of the name of the recurve now. He shoots another high poundage recurve. But um, he always shot wood arrows, you know, and he okay. loves wood arrows. And so I was always. Once I shot a carbon arrow back in the day, I was I was hooked. And I shot, I've shot wood arrows and fiberglass and aluminum for years and years. And once I shot that carbon arrow, I, I honestly, I never looked back. One thing that, that I must have is a, an arrow that I deem perfect. It spins absolutely true, you know, and it's tough. And that, that car, these carbon arrows fit the bill for me. I love the nostalgia of wood, but I don't don't seem like I take the time to keep them straight all the time. Well, I when I got into hunting with a, a traditional bow, I, I started off with aluminum. Uh, I had some some pro wood people uh, encourage me. I, I I did shoot some wood arrows for a little while. Uh, I was resistant to carbon, and. Um, once I came up with a good setup and, and hit tune, 
and could see how that arrow was performing at, at close ranges uh, and how tough you could make them. I really haven't looked back. I, I haven't shot anything but carbon for a number of years. Um, but I, I, I was resistant to it, right? I mean, the, the smell of cedar sure. is a powerful thing. It is. It is. I would agree. I, I, I still shoot I bows. I, I'm, I'm, but I must admit when I shoot wood and even when I hunt with wood, it's more for the nostalgia reasons. Um, carbon's just a, I'm sorry. It's just a, it's, it's a, it's a superior arrow material. I don't care what anybody says, you know, and Hey, for all the ones that are banging their head against their, their dash right now, listening to this podcast, cause I just said that your woods carbon based too. So, uh, <laughs> scientifically speaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, D- Doug on this trip is gonna, uh, he's going to shoot some carbon arrows and on his, on our Africa trip, he shot some wood arrows. Uh, and had great success. He shot two arrows and killed two great animals. So, mm. um, you know, uh, I guess going back to Africa, maybe some of the things I learned that I learned there was, uh, I mean, these animals are on the move when you when you shoot. I mean, they when they come into that water to drink, uh, and you pick that spot and you shoot. The arrow might go there, but that doesn't mean the animal is going to be there, you know. Oh, yeah. So, uh, was some tough lessons. Um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Um, but uh, um, a, a good arrow, a good, a good broadhead on a good arrow uh, that's like what we're talking about, I definitely will have... Uh, you know, a different setup when I go back next time. Not, not that, you know. I mean, the arrows that I got from Garrett are are awesome, and his setup is awesome. And uh, everything that I shot, you know, I mean, it, it performed the way I wanted it to. But I think I'm gonna do uh, a longer. A little bit longer uh, outsert on that, or sleeve on that, on on my arrows. If okay, from I mean, just from now on, on everything, everything I shot this fall. Actually, I built some sleeves and and uh, put them on my arrows, and and I had pretty good success. So, so you're talking about basically a footing? Yeah, the outside footing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How how long are you running those? Well, I'm gonna I'm going a little longer than than my insert, so it's probably about a two and a half inch. Okay, that's what I've been running. I, I went up from one and a half to two and a half a couple of years ago. Same uh, here. I, I want I had, it to be just a little bit longer than that insert. Absolutely, absolutely. And if it is going to break, I mean, honestly, if that system failed, that's where it's going to fail. Yep. So. Yeah, agreed. So you you talk about um, the animals at water. I, I had something happen to me. I can't remember if it was in Nebraska or Wyoming, but a uh, super highly wired uh, pronghorn uh, reaction. And fast forward, I think two years or three years later, I was in Africa, and you mentioned a diker earlier. Mm. And uh, it was a, a great little great little buck, and he came in, and he was wired tight. 
And the pH is like, well, there's a four yard shot. Like it doesn't get any better than that. And I look wow. at that animal and I'm like, there's no way even at 130 feet per second that I'm going to try that. Like I have no idea how fast that thing could react, but they're just you know famous for it. But uh, yeah, so I, I passed on a diker just being afraid to be honest. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from experience, they're extremely fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I did, I did have a shot at one, um, and, uh, he was actually looking the other way at 15 yards and uh, my PH Wayne looked at me and he says, make sure you aim low. And I'm like, I got this, you know, I wanted one really bad. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, so I shot and that thing was like, I swear, I swear he hit the sand, yeah. you know, they're not very big, but I swear he hit the sand. And, uh, of course, we videoed all my shots. So I got to... <laughs> and when he ran off, I just started laughing. <laughs> I mean, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, I just made the perfect shot. Mm-hmm. And I watched that in slow motion. And he did. He went straight down. And if you... I don't know, you guys, I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but, you know, while you stand in there in slow motion, I put my finger right where I want to hit him on the screen and then play it through in slow motion, and that's exactly where my arrow went. I mean, perfect. And it was probably a half inch over his back. It was amazing. Yeah. Outclassed and undergunned, huh? Oh, man. I told told my PH, I said, I'm aiming for his knee. Next time I'm aiming, I'm going to shoot for his knee. (laughs) <laughs> so Amazing. i don't i don't know you know um we could compare you know you can prepare all you want and and but i think experience uh of of hunting there probably is the most beneficial thing for you you know i mean you can practice and practice and practice and if that arrow or you know if that <laughs> that little diker isn't there when your arrow gets there there's not a whole lot you can do no. So. Hmm. Well, uh, other than Africa, you mentioned uh, a little earlier, a uh, good time to put some plans in motion and not put things off. Do you have uh, other things on your on your mind? Do you have building points towards something or have um, a hunt on the horizon? You mentioned Alaska earlier too. Yeah, I don't have uh, I don't have any plans to to venture north. Okay. Right now, I, I would like to do that someday. Definitely, one thing. One thing that I've been thinking about lately is I've never killed an elk with my bow, hmm. and that, that is definitely a thing that I I'm probably going to pursue a little bit more. Um, I used to, I've been out to Colorado about five different times back in my youth, um, and I really got a bad taste in my mouth. Um, it was just so many really? people and oh. so many so many four-wheelers and we we'd walk in four or five miles and get there when the sun's coming up and here come four four-wheelers by us you know so yeah. it was it was just an experience that i i did not enjoy i mean i love chasing elk and i love to see them and and i came close with some opportunities but i just wasn't my cup of tea but i definitely is something that i i would like to get done um 
I normally hunt antelope um, in Wyoming pretty close to every year. And mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love that. It's just, I love the animal. I love that species. It may be my, it may be my most favorite thing to hunt. Um, but mainly because of where they are, where they live. I love that high desert country. Okay. The sage. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking forward to doing that again. And you, you don't hunt them on your side. I, I have, I do. And we, we have, okay. uh, we have some great antelope here. Actually, I have a, a friend that's a taxidermist that showed me a picture of one, uh, that was killed in Nebraska. That was... What did it score? 88 inches, maybe? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, those are rare. There was a rare anywhere. But uh, we, we can produce them if, if we allow them to, to live long enough to do that. But, uh, again, we've had <clears throat> kind of the same situation as Colorado. In my youth, we hunted. I hunted uh, the northwestern part of our state and uh, it was just it was fabulous it was a beautiful country and it still is but a lot of people have found out about it and uh, there's just just a tremendous amount of people on the public ground there now so a lot of things have changed over the years it's true yeah i don't want to talk too much about uh nebraska pronghorn uh, like you said uh, right there's enough pressure, but there are some good goats too. So. Oh yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of private ground that, you know, that a guy can hunt, and I have yeah. most of my friends hunt, hunt them, pursue them, and, and do quite well. So yeah. Great, and that's uh, just my personal opinion. I think I think an underrated game meat too. Uh, oh, yeah. Ran out of pronghorn a while back, and, and it does get on my mind to uh try and go get another one isn't it fabulous it really is yeah it's yeah. great uh great meat it is it, in my opinion is the best you know i I, yeah. I would rate it right with elk or or even better so i must admit i've been i've been thinking about it again too in fact i i went ahead and purchased preference points for wyoming uh this past year when i when I was getting my preference point. So not sure it probably won't be, I know it won't be this year, probably won't be next year, but maybe the following year. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to going back out there and pursuing them. They're such yeah, a unique animal. They are. Yeah. And, and definitely, you know, I've, I, I've had some stocks doing uh, coolies, you know, in the heat of the day. Um, haven't got a shot off that way yet. Um, Definitely doable over water. It's just, yeah, a lot of a lot of ways you can do it with a bow, and just great place to be. I just love being out on the prairie and seeing the the fox and the badgers and uh, the big big open sky. Yeah, definitely an experience. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the sun sunsets are fabulous, and you know, a couple times we've gone out scouting or something, and we, and we just throw our cot out jump on it and sleep under the stars you know in august or september and just what a magnificent place to be the stars are just unreal and coyotes howling in the background and just it's always enjoyable but i don't have any big plans um 
going to have a couple of kids get married here probably in the next few years, so <laughs> probably <laughs> I'll probably take take you know wait till that's over with and maybe plan another trip to Africa. I hope. There you go. There you go. So uh, the kids uh, get bit with the bug growing up in your household. Yeah, all my kids bow hunt. Um, they've all gotten so busy, you know, when they're teenagers. And um, my oldest son had graduated from college, and he he came up and hunted for a week uh, during the rut this year, and so well, that was nice. And uh, my my beautiful little daughter, she she loves to go hunting with her daddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's those are some precious times. And my youngest son, is, he's a senior in high school, and uh, so he's extremely busy in sports, and it's tough for him to get away. But we're going to, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to go to Texas in April. Uh, we're going to, we might go down and do some bow fishing for alligator gar. Super cool. So, yeah. So, but I love, there's, uh, one thing that I will say is probably some of my most special hunts in my life was watching all of my children shoot their first deer with a bow. Mm-hmm. So two of cool. my children have, have no desire to hunt with anything but a bow. And, and then my, my youngest, he's, he's willing to do whatever, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's mainly, he mainly just bow hunts. He has now for the last few years, but and we here living in Nebraska. I mean, we we waterfowl hunt. Um, <laughs> you know, we we upland hunt. We have some pheasants and some quail. So uh, myself, I'm involved in just almost anything outdoors. I have way too many passions. You mentioned fly fishing. I absolutely love to fly fish. Um, I'm into photography and just a multitude of different things that that my wife thinks I'm in doing way, way too much. <laughs> I have way too much, way too much stuff. Do you have no. some good uh, fly fishing rivers in your area, or is that uh, mostly smallmouth down that way? Right. So where I live, uh, our rivers here are spring-fed. They come out of the, what we call the sand hills in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they're smaller rivers, and they're all sand, uh, sand bottoms. They're shallow. And uh, fish fishing in them would be catfish mainly. Okay. Um, but uh, what, <laughs> what I've gotten hooked on, it might be hard for you to believe, but in the last few years, I've really gotten hooked on on fly fishing for carp. <laughs> I mean, you're not the you first got, person to say it. I mean, it's unreal. I mean, it's uh they are they are smart and I the first time you watch a carp swim 6 feet out of it where it's where it's at and just smash your fly, I mean, you're you're hooked. I mean, hit it like a largemouth bass. I mean, they are just voracious eaters, and if you can catch them in the right situation, it's all sight fishing. Uh, you can catch them on topwater stuff. You can catch them on on nymphs. Um, yeah, I've seen some patterns for fun. carp flies. 
Yeah. And I have not done that yet. But you, uh, have, you have to do it. You have to do it. All right. I mean, okay, so springtime's coming. Yeah. So <laughs> I have this flat bottom boat and it's gone from from bow from bow ship, bow fishing carp to fly fishing for them and and the fun, the funny thing is you know we shoot them with an arrow throw them in a bucket and and, and mm-hmm. keep hunting you know and then now now I catch them on a fly and we take pictures of them and release them <laughs> <laughs> there's something about funny. I mean isn't that funny yeah I mean it's it's two extremes and I and I, I enjoy both of them but I uh, anymore I just soon catch one on a fly it, huh. it, it it's just to because I love the sight fish I mean any anybody that fishes probably are the are the same you know yep. they love to we love to watch it you know you're interacting with that fish yep and uh, so I've introduced some of my buddies to it now it's almost like I'm going out and both bone fishing flats now I've uh, you know hmm. uh, a bunch of rednecks bone fishing is what it is <laughs> <laughs> you know we had uh uh scott spray on the on the show i don't know several months back and scott is scott's just a fantastic guy but uh he says the same thing he he, he just of all the things he's caught on a fly rod fly fly fishing for carp is his absolute favorite i haven't done it my, myself yet so uh like well, tom i guess i'm gonna have to find time. it yeah, well, they're not hard to find. They're you know in every piece of water that we own in the states. It seems like you yeah. know. So um, I've caught them in canals, rivers, and impoundments. So hmm. it's uh, I'll I don't know. There's I got a couple secrets that I'm probably not going to let out today. <laughs> but I mean, what I, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm one of the few. A few people in this in this area that fly fishing for carp. You know, everybody else was fishing for walleye, white bass, yeah. crappie, and you know, <laughs> they look over at me. I'm throwing a fly. They're shaking their heads. <laughs> <laughs> and then if they find out what I'm trying to catch, then they really shake their heads. But I'm telling you what, um, they're missing out because it's it's a ton of fun. I've introduced a few people to it and. And just to watch, you know, people that never fly fish before. Um, sometimes if the situation's right, you don't have to be stealthy. You just have to get it. You just have to get it there, and they'll eat it. It's amazing. But other times they can be. It's a lot like trout fishing. You got to you got to get the right presentation to them. Otherwise, they'll you'll either spook them or or uh, they're just not going to take it. So. <laughs> But I highly suggest, I highly recommend it, both of you. All right, got a got it to do for the spring then. There you go. Well, John, I'm 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 kind of watching the time. I know we 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 set a time we were going to try to keep this thing within. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got activities going on today, but there's a I, I've been sitting here jotting down notes as I'm listening to all this, and there's a there's a couple of things that I want to throw out there, and then I want to. Um, give you a little bit of opportunity to to talk about whether or not you you know you're i know you're not 
actively pursuing uh, sales of your adapters anymore because you told me you'd, you know, you'd stop the website and so forth. But I don't want to talk about that a little bit because I know I'm going to get questions from people that, that might want to reach out and contact you. But before I do that, so two things that, that have come up here, we were talking about, um, you're talking about the antelope hunting and, and the speed of animals. And I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, but I do want to relate it again real quickly. Um, because it did involve one of your adapters when tom and i showed up at the place that we hunted pronghorn back in 2016 um great great bunch that was running this camp i I can't say enough good about them um but they didn't they didn't necessarily give us a lot of prep talk we uh we hopped in (laughs) we hopped in the truck with with cody the guy that carried us out to our blinds that morning and we hadn't we hadn't gone a hundred yards out of out of the camp, and he said, "So have you ever hunted antelope before?" And I said, "You know, no. I've, I've worn to for thirty four years, but never have." And Tom said he had he had hunted them, but he'd never shot one. And he said, "Well, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is don't shoot them in the shoulder. So they're not like a whitetail. They're the 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 bone structure is a lot different than a whitetail as far as density." And he said, "If you hit them in the shoulder, you're not going to get any penetration whatsoever." Um, and he said, if anything, I'd rather you shoot them a little bit further back. Said if you just, you know, if you miss lung and you hit liver, there's nowhere they're really going to go. We can find them, you know, that kind of thing. And Tom and I both said, you know, okay, we, you, you got it. Um, now Tom, I'm not going to say Tom is lucky, but you know, Tom's shot was four yards and my shot was, <laughs> my, <laughs> my shot was, uh, best I could step it off. Cause it was across the water hole it was about 28 I would have loved to have had that four-yard shot, but it just didn't work out that way. But anyway, I still don't know why. I'm assuming because this was opening day, the animal they had not been hunted, you know, since the previous year, and I'm thinking it had to do something with the sound of the bow coming out of that blind or the water or something. But that animal spun towards me when I shot, and as soon as as soon as the arrow's in flight and I saw him moving, I was like crap it's going to hit him right in the shoulder and it did and it it was it was just i felt i mean i truly felt bad i mean it was just a a horrible sound and and the the antelope you know he let out a a a ball as he kept spinning and and went off about his business and um you know I, i i worried about it for a minute and i I actually waited until he got far enough out and went and retreat because the arrow just, I saw the, the back of the shaft fly out. But when I went and got the arrow, I could tell I had, I had good penetration. So I wasn't necessarily worried. And we, we recovered the animal and we get back and we're, we've got the animal up and we're, Cody's working on it, skinning it. And, and I was kind of helping hold the hide back as he was, as he was, you know, skinning, caping this thing out. And he got down towards the, the shoulder and I looked on the opposite side and I could tell there was something protruding. And I told him, I said, Cody, be careful. That broadhead is, is sticking, you know, out of the side of that other shoulder. And, and Tom was standing there. He looked and he said, that, that's not possible. So there's no way that's the broadhead. And I said, okay. And as he brought the knife down past that, the broadhead fell out of the shoulder on the other side. It went through both shoulders on that bronghorn. And he looked up at me and said, if I had not seen that, I would never have believed it. And then he, then he wanted to know all about my arrow setup. 
Um, mm. When we were trying to talk about it in camp the previous day, you know, nobody really cared. But after that, he he wanted to know, and that was shooting one of your uh, one of your adapters and a, a one of those wide Magnus one sixties. So it it carried a lot of it carried a lot of momentum. Um, and I have no doubt that if I had been shooting just a standard era, you know, five hundred grains, four hundred grains, I would have never recovered that antelope. And he said that. Uh, every year they they harvest antelope that you can tell somebody's hit them in the shoulder the previous year and just they, they, you know it hit it basically bounced off or just lodged right inside that that scapula so just another testament to to what a great product that you have made and uh, if we have a few minutes we may talk about this but um, that it's fostered a lot of other uh, companies to actually start producing something similar. So, you know, my hat's off to you for for what you've produced. I've I've never regretted a dime that I've that I've spent with you on the adapters that I've bought. Um, the other thing, and this one's this one, uh, it's not intentional poking fun at Tom, but it some in some ways it will it will poke fun at Tom just a little bit, mm-hmm. but in a good way. Um, several years ago, actually the the. The first hog that I took on the property that we hunt in South Carolina, Tom and I got into camp a day early, so we were the only ones hunting that day, and we were hunting just as the crow flies, just a couple hundred yards apart. And I won't go into all the details. We've talked about it before, but I shot a really nice hog, um, steep quarter and away angle. And as soon as the arrow hit, my first response was, why didn't that thing go through? Why did it, why did it stop? And I got all excited and dropped my flashlight. And I told Tom if I flashed my flashlight at him, you know, to, to I was coming out of the stand because it was raining that day. And as I dropped the flashlight, it turned on and was flashing. So Tom exited his stand and headed over there towards me about 30 minutes early. But anyway. Yeah. At magic hour. Yep. At magic hour. Yeah, I just completely screwed Tom's hunt. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I get down, and because it's raining, I pick up the blood trail, and and I'd I'd watch the the hog ran about I don't know forty yards or so, and stopped, and it was the weirdest thing because this hog looked like it was con- it was shaking, and I couldn't figure. I was like, what the heck is going on? And it it ran into the woods. Well, when I got over there and walked into the woods, it didn't go maybe I don't know fifteen yards, twenty yards more into the woods, and and expired. That was it. And I could sit there and look, and I could see the the air had hit right where I wanted to, back almost behind the last rib, to quarter out and exit, just in front of the off shoulder, which would have taken it right through the vitals. And the arrow was about I don't know, Tom, what was it, nine ten inches sticking, still sticking out of the of the arrow, something like that. Most, yeah. And uh, as I'm sitting there, just admiring my first hog and that hog weighed 150 something right at 160 pounds so it was a really nice size hog and i'm admiring it tom walks up and he said something about hmm didn't get a pass through and i said no and he said well it is a steep angle and tom reached down and went to pull the back of my arrow out and almost no force whatsoever the shaft just came right out of the hog no broadhead on it just the heavy adapter and the footing and he he asked me something about what glue was that and i said well it was hot melt (laughs) (laughs) and you know how your parents used to say i'm not mad i'm just disappointed (laughs) 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 
that was the look I got from Tom, and he just kind of turned his head. And now, in all honesty, at the end of the day, when we started dressing this thing, it had buried a 235 grain grizzly Kodiak an inch deep in the jaw of this of this hog on the opposite side. It went through a lot of hog and then still had a lot of momentum. But to this day, every time I even think about cutting corners and using <laughs> hot melt, I see that look on Tom's face, and I can't do it. I just can't do it. So that was my lesson learned around hot melt. When you were talking about using it, I just I felt like I had to share it. So well, hot melt will hold it going forward, <laughs> but eventually that bond will fail. So yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I use. I, I, I'll admit, I still use it for tuning process on occasion. So I won't yeah, even use it for that. I use the epoxy just so I don't have to get that look from you again. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather spend the five dollars on the adapter and, and instead I have to <laughs> feel like I'm being scolded as a child. <laughs> uh, I'd apologize, but if it makes you do it better, it's worth it. It it absolutely is, and I would expect no less from you, Tom. That's 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 why you're my friend, brother. Uh, so, John, back to you real quick. We'll try to wrap this up. You, I know we were talking about yesterday, and you did say that you had, you're not you, you don't have the website still up, but you are still producing them, and you will still sell them. So, um, you know, do do you want to share how people could get in touch with you if they if they would like to to learn more about or buy the product? Um, yeah, you could you could call me at. Uh uh, hand machining in uh, Pleasanton, Nebraska. That number is uh, 308-388-3901. You could reach me there. Um, I'll give uh, an email. You can reach me at johnhand67 at gmail.com. And those are two ways to reach me. I do have some inserts, and I, and I would sell them. Um, I'm always going to have inserts. I've got to have inserts for myself and my friends and uh, Steve and Tom. And, <laughs> I mean, I think the only the only way, and I and I talked to you a little bit about this yesterday, uh, Steve. Is I think the only way to make this better is the reason I went with the adapter was I don't I never liked an adapter in an adapter in an adapter. You know what I mean? There's right. just too many. And and I'm just, I was always a guy that actually, uh, I, the arrow had to spin perfectly true or I was not happy. I've actually sent broadheads back to the manufacturer because they weren't perfectly true. Um, but uh, the arrow, I was trying to think of what my setup used to be. You know, we talked about that before. And what I was doing was spin forging aluminum arrows. And I was shooting Zwicky heads on that uh, end of that aluminum arrow. So there's absolutely no weight, you know. Hmm. But they're a great arrow. I mean, they flew great. And, but uh, that's kind of how that all started. But um, that's the way you can contact me. And, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always up for talking adapters, broadheads. But I think... If we're going to make a better system, it's going to be all in one. We're going to get rid of the insert, and we're going to include it right with the broadhead. So you're going to build the broadhead and the whole system, mm-hmm. and you you absolutely glue it right in the end of the shaft, 
with epoxy and you're done you know so i think uh you know those those are things i'd like to see in the future either that i do them or somebody else does them um i'm not one that uh i want to see i want to see people have success um and i and i don't want to see failures and i honestly have talked to different manufacturers and say this is what you need to do and uh, I think the reason that's uh, holding a lot of this back is because um, they need to sell a product and to sell a product to more people you have to make it universal for all people and the screw-in broadhead and and insert system will do that you know a lot of guys don't make a hunting arrow to just to hunt with they, they want an arrow that they can practice with and hunt with and small game with and whatever. But, uh, you know, what, what we've done is I have, I have my practice arrows that are built for practice. I have my hunting arrows that are only built for hunting. Yep. And uh, I think, you know, if a guy's not willing to do that, then that's okay too, you know. Well, and that's uh, a that's a good point. I know that does that holds a lot of people back. Is you know you start looking at these specialized adapters, and you know they're not cheap. But at the same time, I mean, really and truly, when you get right down to it, what's the most expensive part of of your your setup? You're spending all this money on a bow, and then you're 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 trying to get by with the cheapest. It just doesn't. Some of that just doesn't make sense to me. But sorry, Tom, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, no, I, I, I was just going to say, I, I do the same thing, right? I mean, I have my practice arrows and then my, my hunting arrows, and I spend a little more money um, because of that. But, you know, so to build 15 arrows for hunting buffalo, uh, it cost me just shy of $1,000, and I bought a $1,200 bow to go with it. That 2200 bucks has been around the world three times, and most of those arrows have shot into or through multiple animals. Um, you know, you, it's a buy it once um, endeavor, right? And when I was designing that system, where some people start with the bow or some people start with the broadhead, um, mine, I, I absolutely started with that adapter and that diameter and that grain weight. And I built everything around my arrow shaft and broadhead around it. And bluntly, I, I think that that is the strongest piece of the system. And the last major hurdle I had to overcome was the, uh, the bond, the, uh, the epoxy. And um, John, to your point, right? The only place we have to go from here is a integrated all-in-one broadhead and insert. Um, short of having that, I think I have the best system available, but, uh, if you or anyone, you know, you're working with comes up with something better, I am happy to go to that next thing. Right. Um, but yeah, we, we have a pretty amazing system available to us today, but there's, there's not far to go from here. Unless I would we agree. Do that. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Well, John, I do appreciate you taking the time to, to come on here. It's been a great 
great conversation. We we kind of wish we'd done it a long time ago. Just just me and you, or or the three of us, whether it was a podcast or otherwise. And maybe we'll figure out a a good reason to to have you on here again at some point in time. Uh, I know I will probably, uh, in all honesty, be in touch with you pretty soon. I've also I've also got a friend who's heading to Australia um, very soon, and actually reached out to me last week about helping him with some arrows. So. Um, most likely it will include your, your adapters. So, uh, I've got a bunch stockpiled, but if I, if I get rid of any of mine, I will be buying replacements. So <laughs> that, but, that's funny, Steve. I wasn't going to say anything more, but I'll tell you, I know another guy going to Australia next year. And a couple of weeks ago, I sent him two of the adapters and uh, a miscellaneous assortment of 300 grain points and heads and a couple shafts. Right. And the whole thing I mailed him was like, and really look at these adapters, like start from here. And, uh, so it's funny. Boy, we're, I hope we have some good Buffalo stories next year. I do too. I do too. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll have at least some, I know, um, Jerry Russell is the gentleman I'm talking about. Uh, I know he's heading over. I think Pat Kelly is going with him and there's mm-hmm. somebody else that's going with him that I know. And I just can't think of the name. So whoever that is, I apologize. Doug? Uh, I, I know it's somebody, I think it's somebody that I know I may be getting it confused with Pat, but it seems like there was somebody else that I knew, uh, personally that was going with Jerry, but I may be wrong on that, but so it may not, I don't know if it's Doug or not. Um, but anyway, we, we know several people between the, between the three of us, we know quite a few people heading to Australia for, for Buffalo again, which is really cool. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, I guess that about wraps this one up again. Thank you so much, John. Um, really enjoyed it. Hate we waited this long to make it happen. I know we talked about it back during the summer, and it just it kept getting pushed out, pushed out. But uh, really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your info, and your, your hunting experiences with us. And we look to talk forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, thank you guys for for all for all you've done for me you know um you've you've done a lot for for sharing this information with other people and and i commend you for that and and uh hopefully hopefully help a lot of people have a a little better system well that's what it's all about i'm kind of like you i just i want to see other people successful i know i know tom's the same way because i hear it i hear it from him constantly so and Tom, thanks for thanks for taking your time today to, to to run shotgun with me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for thanks for letting me on and, and chatting with you guys. It was great. All right. And to all our listeners, thanks so much. And we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Take care.